Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. You are listening to the latest edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, April 20th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. This is the Blue Gold Game preview, which we will get into more when we get to segment two, because Notre Dame, as we're recording this, Notre Dame just completed their draft. We'll get into that. But I, before we do, um, I, I wanted to, you know, we had interviews with Mickens and the cornerbacks and Stuckey and the wide receivers and pouring over every word that was said from those guys last night. Um, you know, I, I certainly get the impression that, you know, when, when the spring started, we were high on the wide receivers. We saw a couple open practices and we were like, I'm not sure. After listening to Chancey Stuckey talk about the wide receivers uh, and Mike Mickens talking about Lorenzo Styles moving to cornerback, I guess, I look at this as as the specifically the wide receiver core as a bit more of a positive once again as spring practice ends. Tim, he really he really likes his starting three, and he kind of offered it because I asked about Deion Colsey. He kind of offered his starting three when he said, "You've got JT, Chris Tyree coming on now, giving us flexibility, and Tobias, and now we have Colsey kind of stepping up." It was a stepping up situation. Colsey was actually sick um that day he wasn't out of that practice but he's he indicated stuck he indicated he's coming on and then i kind of asked him why i i wanted him to say more positive things about colsey i was like imagine the difference that you're about to tell me from Dion colsey now to last year which of course there is one but he he tamped it down he said that was a positive first step that was a positive first step and he he thinks expectations tim you brought this up before he thinks Dion colsey is approaching things the way he did last year that made him a, a contributor. He's like, I no, 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 no. You need to become a player and you need to accelerate what you're doing in practice. Yeah. I'd say like where Colsey, like spot player, some important third downs and a touchdown at USC is against USC is not going to cut it. Um, you know, it's like, there's another big step, but like I think the step that he took, which I think was probably your line of questioning was like, yeah, was huge. You would even, you didn't even know if you had a player here. Um, and now I think that you do, but I, I think my takeaway from the receivers and O'Malley, I think you sort of made this point last week and I wrote about it today is like the fact that you are Notre Dame is probably going to move Lorenzo styles to corner. Like, okay. I mean, that's kind of an interesting story. The fact that they can do it because yeah. of the receiver position being recruited and developed the way that it has, you know, with Tyree coming in too, that that's important. Um, that's a significant development in the program because where they were at receiver a year ago to where they are now, I mean, there were certain practices where they would have four healthy scholarship guys out there um, to be able to take out your leading receiver in terms of receptions and be like, no, it's totally fine. That's a big development to make. Yeah. I don't think there's any way that, you know, we're talking about Lorenzo styles moving over to defense if it wasn't for of course Chris Tyree moving there and then the three freshmen flashing the way they have yep. Yep. With Flores Tim as you said you know Flores is always the first name mentioned of that group 
uh, actually uh, chosen. I'm looking at the draft here. Merriweather went first among the receivers. We'll get I, we'll get into that. But you know, Matt Salerno is still in there, and then then the freshmen. But of course, the freshmen are in a position, especially Flores and and Great House, to to move up now. You know, the the cornerback position. I again pouring over what everybody is saying about Lorenzo Styles. Great athlete. This is in, in reference to playing cornerback. Great athlete, physicality. You know, and, and then and then Styles himself talking about it. And I always saw in high school they look more natural as a cornerback. And then you listen to him and see him talk or read what he said. And I mean, he almost admits it. He says, I come from a defensive family. His brother plays defense. You know, he he just wanted to be an offensive player coming out of high school, and I think he made the wrong choice. <laughs> he's he's a much more natural cornerback. Yeah, I didn't. Um, there are a lot of people talking to Styles and Mickens came in, so I didn't get a chance to ask Styles this question. Um, but a lot of guys want to play wide receiver when they're both. Remember, Bennett Jackson refused to play corner as a freshman, so he wins special teams player of the year playing wide receiver, never gets in a game, and then the next spring. Now that he's tasted some success, Brian Kelly was like, you're moving. Don't care what you think. Did a great job. Became a longtime pro and really helped Notre Dame. Some guy, I mean, it's it's a different. You could look at Lorenzo Styles last year and be like, what in the world? The ball skills just are not there because you don't keep making those mistakes. Priester, uh, you might be vindicated for your Fiesta Bowl comment when he uh, was trying to run under that deep ball. <laughs> like He's got to get that. And of course, people loved Lorenzo Styles back then. So you can never say anything wrong. But now if you rewatch that, you might see the lack of ball skills. Yeah, he was a future top 10 uh, Notre Dame wide receiver right. at the time, Tim. Um, we all liked him. I mean, we did. Yeah. I'm not saying we all liked Lorenzo Styles. Yeah, I it. Uh, I mean, Matthias Farley came in as a receiver, moved mm-hmm. to DB, worked out for him. Um, but none of those guys had the success at receiver that Styles had as a freshman where you saw something and you're like, oh, OK, this is happening. Um, I went and saw Styles play in high school. He floats around the field. I mean, that is a compliment. Um, uh, you know, whether it be punt return or corner or wide receiver, he's just like very graceful out there. I, you know, it's like the physicality aspect of it on defense. I'll be interested to sort of see if that clicks on, um, but removing maybe some of the ball skills where he can just sort of go try to get a hand on the ball opposed to catching it. I don't know. It could, it could break form. I just don't, unless there's an injury, I don't see it how it is a significant move for this year. Yeah, that's the thing. And somebody on our message board suggested him preserving a year, which he's not going to want to do. No, right. That that would make sense long-term for his career. And that reminds me, Tyree, because of the COVID year in 2020, has two years of eligibility. So he does. does. how you can see him, okay, now he'd stick around to be a receiver at Notre Dame for two more years. But getting back, this style style says he likes defense because there's more chaos. He feels like he's more relaxed on that side of the ball. I thought it was interesting. They said, I already have a relationship with coach Mick Mickens because I was always, or I would talk to him about, okay, when I run this route, what, what is the cornerback thinking? What's his reaction? So it makes complete sense. Um, we have, we have questions about where he should play and why he should play in the second segment but Lorenzo Styles is going to want to sit this year in a lot yeah 
long long range, I would imagine that would be the right thing to do, but he's not going to want to do that. And frankly, he's going to start working a corner now. He'll work at it through the summer. He'll work at it through August. If he's as adept at the position as I think, and maybe you guys think, you know, certainly he's going to be full-time special teams. Um, right. That's the point. He yeah. Here's the point. No matter how much you want Lorenzo Styles to be around for two more years, Marcus Freeman and Marty Biaggi know he will be one of the top five or six special teams players on the team. They don't want him around for two years to never never play or play him for four games on special teams. Right. It, that's not how football works. They want to win. They want Lorenzo Styles to cover punts the way he did last year. They want him being even better now that he's not going to be a full-time wide receiver. There's in a beautiful, perfect world where everybody has patience. Sure. He red shirts. I do not see that possible from Styles now that he's played this much. And, and both the corners and the receivers are saying how physical he is at corner. Yes. So, I mean, I just. Maybe he'll play more than another corner. He maybe he will beat out a corner. We don't. He could beat out a corner. Well, he could. He could certainly. He couldn't beat out Tucker or Barnes to be involved. Beat out Christian Gray is a you know college game. Not that we necessarily want that because I think we're all kind of excited about Christian Gray. He won't play in the blue gold game. Um, But Gray can redshirt play a four game redshirt too if he needs to. That's the that's the other thing. Exactly. So. Um, before we get into, uh, I guess we can, we can table the rest of the conversation about those two positions, but I thought the interviews from this week were, were not only very good, but were very telling and very insightful as to what is happening at wide receiver, which, you know, we were a little bit unclear of after a couple open practices, but before we go to, um, segment two, we'll go into questions and we'll talk more about the blue gold game format and stuff, but the players that will not be participating there aren't going to be a lot of tight ends on the field Kevin Bauman is out uh Mitchell Evans is out do we know what that injury is uh Pete you t- you were you informed us uh Jack Kaiser suffered a broken toe the other day and played correct yeah practice with that he will not be I get the ones that surprised me were Evans and Kaiser I didn't know about those and the guys that we expected Bauman's out uh, I didn't know about Ty Chan he's not participating we said uh, Logan Diggs wasn't going to to play in this game. He's not. Christian Gray, Thomas Harper, Cam Hart, Devin Houston. None of these are surprises. Prince Colley coming off the the uh, the concussion. Ben Minnick with the thumb. Tyler or uh, Eli Raritan out with the knee. Schuler, Price. They're short on running backs too because Velada's out and Ketterer's out. They don't even have their top two walk on uh, running backs. Uh, for the game either so it's a uh, day for sam asaf it, it will be it will be an interesting um i do when we get into the second segment and talk about the format of this game I, I want you guys to talk about what you heard about the uh the desire to play this as a game because we suspect now that maybe moving forward after this year that marcus freeman just wants to run a 15th practice as opposed to a game for those that have never seen a practice i think it would be enlightening and quite frankly, there's just as much to watch as there is with a with a running clock of backups in the second half. So yeah, I think Brian Kelly felt that way too. Yeah. He he was right. I think 95% of the coaches feel that way. Yeah, I mean the blue goal, the tradition with the blue goal game, yada, yada, yada. You you've got to move on and do what's best for your team. And I think from the sounds of it, that'll be something that will be explored moving forward. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question comes from J Bolt 250. 
What are your thoughts on athletes getting more than five official visits? It feels like it'll be even harder now to keep coaches at the college level and nearly impossible to bring back coaches from the NFL. I, I wasn't aware of that when it was brought up to Marcus Freeman the other day. I didn't know that they were going to go beyond five official visits. Do you really think guys are going to want to take six, seven, eight visits? I really don't. I, I, I no. Mean, I, I, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. And then Freeman brought up the fact that every school, I didn't know what the number was, but every school is is capped at 56 visits. Correct. Oh, and okay. so it's like, what for starters, unofficial visits have been unlimited forever. So this isn't that big of a difference. Um, if they uncap the 56, then I think you're getting into like a complete right. catastrophe. Um, before... didn't do that. So it's not yeah, like you... Apple is going to be entertaining another dozen, two dozen recruits. No, I mean, well, you may because most schools don't even use the 56. So, I mean, you may you may end up with some like tourist official visits who aren't really considering a school. So I feel like I mean, there is like an organizational component for the schools to be like, all right, how are we going to deal with us? Like, who are we going to allow to take official visits? It has to be somebody who really wants to come here or serious opposed to just like, I'm the number one player in the country. I'm taking 50 official visits just to say that I did like Notre Dame may be like you have a 1.7 and no four language credits you're not taking an official visit here well that anyway so they don't have to just yeah take a visit okay you can come and it doesn't there are a lot of things about recruiting that would drive coaches to the NFL but I just don't think this is one of them yeah um if your coach leaves you get it to reopen up for an official visit anyway right yeah, that that was true when Freeman became the head coach. Right. So this that's that that's was the only cool. reason I thought somebody would want to do six, seven visits. You've hit five visits, your coach leaves, but you get to do it anyway. So it has nothing to do with this. Yeah, it doesn't even cool. count against the unlimited visit because like, you can't take multiple visits to the same school unless there's a coaching change. Unless in which there's case a coaching you change, you take right. one additional, and that's why they got like ninety percent of the class together. Right when Marcus Freeman came on. Correct. Question from Elm City Domer via Twitter. Give me the most successful position switches of all time. At Notre Dame, as a 91 grad, I witnessed a few great ones. Andy Heck and Ricky Waters on offense. Pat Terrell and Jeff Burris, among others, on defense. I think there's two types. When you flip scrimmage, it's a major switch. Uh, Andy Heck going from tight end to All-American left tackle is also a major switch. Ricky Waters is a little less. He's just so talented and everything. That, um like Zorich was a linebacker, went to nose tackle, but that was the way the 80s were rolled, right? That was Miami and Florida State. Every single time you got a faster guy, give him 10 more pounds and play him. Uh, Todd Light is a awfully good player that that switched. I mean, Carroll was a great move because he couldn't yeah. catch the ball. <laughs> uh, Tom Carter, also quarterback to – I mean, there's they're forever in the Holtz era. CJ Prosize is a big one from Notre Dame in terms of he went from scout team safety to decent slot receiver, helpful, very helpful slot receiver to Holy smokes. Look at this guy at running back and into the NFL. So in recent years, that's a great one for Notre Dame. I'd throw uh well, I mean, Justin Tuck was a linebacker for a day yep. that moved to defensive end. Um, you know, I mentioned Matthias Farley in the first segment that he was not going to be a eight, nine year pro wide receiver. Right. And I'm not sure he's like an yeah. eight, nine year pro of safety either, but like 
he was a special teams guy who's carved out a niche for himself. Um, and I'm, I don't know if that necessarily would have happened if he had been a receiver. Frank Stams is another one. No, oh, there's a great one. That's a great one. Well, and, and he was, I talked to Barry Alvarez, the defensive coordinator at that time. And he, you know, I mean, everybody admits Stams himself that Holtz was just like, this guy's not a fullback. I don't want him. Anybody on defense want him? And Alvarez said, yes, I will take him. Thank you very much. Uh, and that, I mean, he parlayed that into a second round draft pick. Uh, Arnez Battle. Arnez Battle. I, does Kavari Russell count? Did he ever pay, play an offensive snap in Notre Dame? They, he, no, he did not. No. He enrolled as a running back. Yeah, right. For a couple weeks. Yeah, I don't know if he ever if he ever actually really practiced there. I mean, you could probably I could probably do a top hundred for these. Yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. that many. There's that many of them. It's and oh, people yeah. forget a lot of like Troy Nicholas was a defensive. Like he was like a middle linebacker blitzer in 2011 against Michigan State, and then he was on a second round draft pick tight end. Yeah, well, you got to be open minded enough to to make these kind of changes and and. You know, Jerry Faust was not other than moving a six foot five, six foot six Tony Hunter from from tight end to a wing back where he ran laterally to the line of scrimmage. Everybody I know in my family always complained about that. <laughs> I was too young to remember it, <laughs> but they complained about it for a decade. <laughs> it's just... still complain about it. And, you know, Cam Hart as well. All right. If there's ever a uh, pandemic again, I'm going to do a top 100 countdown of the switches uh, for summer guys instead of uh, previewing the season. So let's look forward to not having that. FL Irish 76. While the nuances of the safety position are more difficult than cornerback, wouldn't it at least be worth a look to have Styles try his hand at safety? One would guess he'd get more reps at safety than corner. The reason I object to the notion is because, I mean, are, are you looking for a productive player or just looking for a body to throw at a position? Lorenzo Styles is a, is a cornerback by trade. I mean, yeah, this is a guy that I, I realize now, as we look at the depth chart, it's like, how in the world is he going to get there? I think he can get there faster than, than people realize he, I, I don't think he has any desire to play safety. It's completely different than playing cornerback. Uh, I get the question. I, I certainly do, but I think they believe that Lorenzo styles is a guy that can help him at cornerback. As soon as this fall, there's a lot, there's a long way to go in that transition, but he's, he's a natural there and he believes he's a natural there. And so, you know, we already talked about in segment one about what the, what corners he could move ahead of. Uh, and we'll see, but I, that, that would be my response to the question. Yeah. I, I, the skill set's totally different. Um, and so like the physicality and just what they're, what they're asking you to do, it would be great if Lorenzo styles had those skill sets. Like I'm sure they would love to move him to safety, but the fact that they're not doing it would lead you to believe that the staff feels like this is a corner, not a safety. And so we're not going to try to force fit the situation. I asked chance Tucker if he had ever dabbled at safety, because that's what Ryan Barnes has had to do for a couple of years. And he said, I played safety in high school and no, never here. And I said, would that be harder? He goes, I think it would be a lot harder because at safety, you have to know what all 10 players are doing. And at corner, you have to know what you and your, where your help is. Yeah, a, as a cornerback, it's a specific assignment as a safety. That's why it's so hard to adapt in today's game, because offensively, there's so many nuances that you, you're, can you imagine? I, I, no, mean, it, I, I, would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to play safety because I would feel like I was inhibited from just allowing my athletic ability to 
to show itself. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's a lot harder, and I think it's still a quote-unquote safety-driven defense, which when you're moving a wide receiver over to learn absolutely everything in three months and then become new, good at a new position, it doesn't make any sense. But in terms of numbers, FL Irish, that would have been the move, but not in terms of how it can happen. Well, and that's why Barnes is playing there, and that's why we expect a transfer portal safety. Yeah. Don't know who that is uh, at this moment, but did we know who Nick McLeod was at this moment a couple of years ago? We did we're, not. Uh, we're only 11 days away from the month of Nick McLeod since yeah. everyone references how he came in May. We're three months away from the month of Dante Moore being a problem, not yeah. being assigned to Pete. That was another famous <laughs> yeah. one that's coming up. You reminded us that, you know, that Nick McLeod didn't come and, uh, <laughs> and so now that's permanently uh, ingrained in our minds. <laughs> Go ahead and ask the next question. Geyser Wilhelm asks, obviously everything about the spring game has to be taken with a grain of salt or a great assault, if you want to say that wrong. But do you think anything could be read into the Hartman Buckner picks in the draft, either in terms of personal comfort with a receiver or how they view the depth chart? Okay. That was a great question until we saw the draft and Hartman and Buckner were already assigned um, to their teams. Hartman will be on the gold team with Angeli and Buckner will be on the blue team with Minchie. Uh, you know, and I, I mean, just like in general, since the quarterbacks can't get hit, I don't, I mean, that's where you would maybe lean towards picking Buckner first, but they can't be hit. So it's more of a throwing game. And so that would favor at the very least Hartman on, on some level. So, uh, it's a good question. I get it. Um, but anyway, let me give you some of the details of the blue goal game. Tim, well, first of all, Tim, we want you guys speak to the fact that, uh, well, there's going to be a running clock, but Marcus Freeman said there'd be a running clock and he didn't say it was just going to be in the second half. There's some reluctance to play these games now. It's been going on for a very long time. And just because it was brought up again yesterday in interviews doesn't, I mean, behind the scenes, not, not at interviews, that would have been a story, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, this has been Brian Kelly didn't want to play this game. A lot of guys don't Mike Leach held a practice. I was told by a reporter um, that covered Leach in Mississippi state. He on, on his spring game, he held a practice. I think a practice would be fun for most fans uh, maybe not like little kids that love to watch the game. Cause they don't really know. I don't, I don't think I knew they weren't, uh, playing for real when I was a kid. Anyway, they're going to see all the drills and the balls in the air all the time. And yeah, I think, uh, I mean, practice, if you've never seen, it would be fun to watch. I think, um, they'd be less worried about what they're not showing and stuff like that. Cause it sure is harder to figure out the third and 10 blitz package. If it's a couple real fast plays and, so I don't know if it'll ever go that way because the tradition, I do think every single solitary coach in America would like it to go that way. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I don't think I would get any less. I'd probably get more out of a open practice than I do the spring game, frankly. I, for sure. Because of the way the teams are broken up. Like you're getting ones versus ones in a practice, which you do not get at all in a spring game. Right. Now, I agree with that. Anyway, uh, some of the rules, running clock, uh, I believe this is the way it was one, one pressure, every four downs you are allowed. So they will allow some, some blitzes to take place. No kickoffs, uh, punt, punt return will be live. And then as I mentioned, the running clock, um, I guess those are, those are the, I, I don't know the scoring system. I really don't care. It really I don't doesn't. think, it, uh, I think it's football. I did ask that you're playing football. 
They're just playing a football game. So uh, there's no defensive scoring unless it's an interception touchdown. Um, I, I think the running clock should not start until the second half. It probably won't. Otherwise, you're not practicing a real game situation. What's the point of doing this? Well, we know how that second half goes, and that's and and that's fine. I mean, I think everybody understands that. Uh, they did allow uh, – I'll get into the roster here a little bit more. They did allow for trades, and there were three proposed, and all were declined. <laughs> I didn't it was, know that. I like that. <laughs> Uh, there was a, there was a there was an Osbury Trey Reader uh, package deal for uh, Drake Bowen Bowen with the blue and the blue turned that down is Bowen with oh the that's going to cost them so much in the end. <laughs> there was a there was a, a Bryce Mc, McPherson for DeBron Payne offer and that was shot down. You don't see a lot of punter running back trades. Oh, no. And and when I heard it, I'm like, well, hell, that's going to get shot down. And it was. Uh, and then there was a couple walk-ons that were. Uh, hey, this is this is unofficial. So don't report this. But I heard they wanted to trade Hartman for Buckner. And they said, no, we don't want to trade. We're rolling with Buckner. So they like it's the unofficial. And, and no one actually said that. But I was wanting to see if somebody wants to get mad at something. Also, they tried to trade Salerno for Merriweather. And they said no to the Salerno said we want to keep him for punt return. L. Washington, <clears throat> Notre Dame's defensive line coach, is the head coach of the gold. And uh, Deal McCullough is the head coach of the blue. Wasn't it that way last year? Wasn't it those it two? It was that way last year. Because yeah. they had the shirts, right? In Wash We Trust, I recall. Right, of course they did. Uh, you know, I don't... I couldn't figure out why Jabron Payne was picked ahead of Audric Estime, but I had the, my two esteemed cohorts here on the podcast said because estimates isn't gonna they're not gonna let estimate carry the football okay that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense uh merriweather was the first receiver picked which also makes a lot of sense then then Jaden thomas uh xavier watts for safety and again a lot of the the upperclassmen were already affiliated with a team and so that's why you're not hearing all the names here but uh Surprise, surprise, Joe Alt was the first offensive lineman. They broke it. They actually did it by position along the offensive line. So when when one tackle was picked, then they went and followed through with the rest of the tackles. Although Carmody was uh, included with the tackles. So apparently he has now perhaps shifted over to back to the, the tackle position. But anyway, back to our questions from ND Yinzer. Outside of Mitchell Evans, how is the tight end position looking for the fall? Are Raritan and Bauman tracking well for fall camp off their injuries? Any idea what the depth chart may look like for the fall if all are healthy? Plus, there's Davis Sherwood and Holden Stays. I don't imagine all can be healthy at the beginning of the year. Um, so Mitchell Evans is your tight end. And I'm just going to guess Holden Stays had a good enough spring and gained enough weight and Certainly looks the part to hold off an injured Kevin Bauman and injured Eli Raritan as we start the season. And then you would think Bauman and Raritan would work their way back in. And the most intriguing thing about tight ends will be how does it look going into, say, the USC week where Notre Dame has established what they are with an identity. They have all their tight ends back and we'll see where they all rank behind Evans. Yeah, I'm a little hesitant to get on the, oh, the tight end will just be fine. It's Notre Dame train here. I, th- I think the position, I mean, obviously the pitches is, is taking a step back with Michael Mayer without Michael Mayer. But I just think it like in terms of like where that position has been over the last 15 years, this is a down year for it. Um, I just don't know how far down it is. Might it not is, be down a ton, but I think it's down. 
And Cooper Flanagan will join the group, of course. And so, you know, there there is some depth when they're all healthy. Tim, when I guess I'm I guess I'm looking at Raritan the way he bounced back from his first ACL. Now it's another ACL. And so you probably approach it a little bit differently. But when do you think he would be ready? He was mid-October. So I think he'll be ready to compete during the end of or points during camp. But I don't know why Raritan coming back is going to pass stays to start the season. I think Holden stays took steps forward too. No, I agree with that. And yeah. um, you know, Evan stays hand him out of the gate. I mean, that's pretty good. As long as one of those guys doesn't get hurt, you're absolutely fine going in. And then you work. I think the tight end position will be helped much better at the end of the year than it is the beginning though. That seems yeah. fair. What, how about this? Would you rather have Tyree on the field or the second tight end? Oh yeah. That it's going to be a solo tight end for a while. Um, and I'll argue this is, I don't think Pete, you meant this literally that it's the worst in 15 years. Cause it was better than like the Alize Mac year when Smythe got hurt. And it was better than the pre commit right arrival that 15, 16. I just brought up 16, by the way, as a comparison, but 15, when it was only freshman Alize Mac, Mitchell Evans is much better than freshman Alize Mac. Yeah. I mean, well then the, and then when that year started, Jerem Smythe was healthy, but yeah, then... that's a good matchup. Smythe was a, junior Evans is a junior going into that year you know yeah. that's a pretty tight I don't know when Raritan will be healthy but when he is healthy and and now that he will completely or should completely understand the offense I think he can be a significant factor in the passing game I mean was that that was his MO coming out of high school the knee injuries have been a setback but I still think that he's going to be that kind of player question from Dashing Domer I'm still interested to hear more about how a game commonly thought to be completely about outcome might be better understood in terms of process. Now, this is a reference to a comment made by Marcus Freeman a couple of weeks ago or last week when we when we talked to him. Um, and I, I do believe that that comment was meant about spring practice in particular. It was. Right. If he said this in September, he would be laughed out of the room. Yeah. But he said it in April. Where I know why I know sense. why Dashing Domer asked this question, actually. Um, I do think he misunderstood Freeman a little bit that he said it in April, and I believe every spring should be about process, not outcome. Um actually part of training camp is process, not outcome too, although you're starting to weed out who you want to play first two weeks. Um, I think he asked the question because in the past, there have been years where you're like, look, they went 10 and two. They had 15 injuries. You guys can all figure out the year right now. They still went to the Fiesta Bowl. They had nobody left and they lost to Ohio State. Maybe the process of this season is more important than the outcome of this season because, look, you got to credit a team that does 10 and three when they lose one third of the important players on their roster. And I, I wrote about that then I was like, man, I don't think anyone's ever going to be happy with 10 and three, but are you kidding me? How many guys lost from this team? And we look back now, we forget that they're like, Oh, Brian Van Gorder ruined the year. Well, he kind of did, but so did all the injuries, like the injuries ruined the year. Yeah, they did. We remember being on the field before the Fiesta Bowl. It was like, <laughs> there is just no way in hell. There was no bodies to compete in this game. And they actually coming back played a better game than I thought they, they possibly did. could have. They did. They hung in. They they hung in there, and it was what it what was a differential, and it'd be like seventeen points. But all I know is Jake Brown got the score right. Oh, <laughs> the forty-two twenty-four was that right? 
No, it was they already got more. They got higher. Um, it was within 13, I think, Pete. I think we're forgetting that Will Fuller scored against Eli Apple on a yep, catch and I run. I remember that. And he cut the lead into it where it was no longer. I mean, you knew they weren't going to win, but they mathematically, you were like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. One play here. No, you had to hesitate to think, okay, maybe they can do it. But that but. sometimes the season's process you have, you'd never want this to happen again. But sometimes you're like, look, even last year, once you're 0 2, even last year at 0 2, the process was like, all right, they've recovered. They are, this is more important than, you know, going eight and four was no fun because of USC. But if they beat USC, you, the process would have been ahead of the results. But yeah. that is not what Marcus Freeman meant in this situation. Uh, he's, yeah, he's talking about the spring and, and absolutely from a, from a coaching now you create outcome situations within the spring sure but but you're you're always looking at the bigger picture of progress 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 and i i, I mean i from that perspective we understood completely what what marcus freeman was saying question from go irish 82 if you could wave a magic wand to make any player in the nordame roster outside of butner or hartman a guaranteed all-american at season's end who would you pick and why my pick meaning go Irish 82 is Jordan Battelle because the Irish have always had a great pass rusher when they win it all. The great pick. Um, can't really argue against it. If you want to play the fun game, what if Cam Hart is an all American and you have Benjamin Morris on the other side of him? <laughs> yeah. That would be what what <laughs> if uh, Billy Schroff is an all American and you have Joe Alton, Blake Fisher and Zeke Carell playing with him. Uh, but if you're staying realistic, like, yeah, this, the pass rushing defensive end is a great call. I mean, what if, what if DJ Brown's an all American and you have Xavier Watts next to him? It's like, I can make this fun, but uh, the position is a great call by go Irish 82. Yeah. yeah. It's, if, you, if you do the magic wand and say Osseo all American, I, I would still go like Tobias Merriweather there. Like, cause if that's you had a great a legit, one. Yeah. cause that means the, that means the quarterback probably was also a fringe all American. It's kind of hard to have one and not the other. So that uh, Tobias Merriweather bad pick here. That's what I was going to interject is Tobias Merriweather. It would be fun. It would be very fun to uh, to see that. But Jordan Battelle, you know, the defensive line, I mean, that, that if Jordan Battelle was that good, that would make a significant difference uh, because that would make opponents account for other people along the defensive line, and that would be a good thing happening on a position or an area. Where uh, where we will have concerns in evaluating Notre Dame until they start the season. Do you guys think if Tobias Merriweather is voted All American in December, that message borders everywhere take up a collection to get a giant banner flown over Tuscaloosa or maybe a billboard, uh, so Tommy Reese sees it and just has Tobias Merriweather All American on it? <laughs> just to rub it in a little bit more. Yes, absolutely. Question from Dutter twenty five. Now that the transfer portal is open. Where do you see additions besides safety? Defensive line, I always say yes. Because uh, as I think we talked about it yesterday, we were talking about Anya being the next guy that steps up. But if they added another Chris Smith, that would be good. Because you always need defensive linemen. Guys will get hurt. Where else? It's not corner, apparently. <laughs> um, not, well, I mean, tight is, is the tight end going to be the 10th best tight end in America, then I would take a tight end. But it's not quarterback. It's not running back. It is not offensive line. It's not linebacker. And it's not corner. I think if, yeah, I would, you need a safety. You'd be open to a defensive lineman. And if an elite tight end was like, I heard Notre Dame tight ends always go pro. I'd like to go pro. Then you'd take that guy too. Yeah. 
I'd take a one and done offensive lineman in a heartbeat. To start at right or to start at guard. Yeah. Yeah. If it was a guard for sure. You know, yeah. Yeah, no, do you, how he'd have to be really good. Cause what if that pushes out Tosh Baker? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I mean, mean, a one and done all, all American. If, if you could make my all American come in, I could do that, but. Like be the second highest rated returning player in college yes, football. from pro football focus. If the second highest rated player came to Notre Dame, we'd be all set of guards. So yeah. that did happen in the past. If people didn't know. Uh, but the question is asking about wide receiver, I bet, without stating it. Would you guys take a wide receiver? There's going to be, am I right about this, 10 in the room with Caleb Smith? Or does that make it? No, nine, because they lost Styles. So nine in the room, uh, probably not, right? Well, obviously, if he's really good, you do. But I mean, it's a, it, the threshold for the receiver, I think, for will you will I take you, the threshold is has been raised. Like, I'm not sure I would retake the original Caleb Smith. I would based not. Based on how spring went for that room. Well, so what kind of wideout would you take? Jordan Addison. <laughs> I mean, he every would every time transfer portal. So yeah. what about, like, would you it take... It has to be somebody at that level. Yeah. Really? You wouldn't take, um, like, Ben Skoranek? Probably, I would still take Ben Skoranek. I would Skoranek. still take Ben Skoranek, yeah. Nobody know. below him. I would not take uh, whoever that guy is was from Arizona State. Cam Smith? Cam Smith or Freddie Canteen. No, I wouldn't take either of those guys. Freddie Canteen started against Georgia. Yeah, no. They threw it 40 times in that game, I think. Who's the other Arizona State whiteout that... I went to Florida. Yeah, that went to yeah. Florida. That Notre Dame yeah. wanted. That Notre yes. Dame wanted. Yeah. Yes, he okay. would have to be like, if he was a power five receiver who led the t- who led his team in receptions and yardage, then I would be like, okay. All right, here's a guy you guys both know. He didn't lead his team because he had Zay Flowers with him. But what about Jalen Gill? I would take Jalen Gill. I would take yes. Gill. And I realized I just described Caleb Smith by he was a power five receiver who led his team in receiving. He led a bad team, though. That was But it was real bad. So next question, Andy Davis, too. What are the expectations for Jaden Thomas? Seems like he's in a weird spot. Elder statesman with an alpha personality, but only 25 career catches and tasked with holding off Randy Moss and Larry Fitzgerald of the world. That would be Meriwether and Flores. Has Thomas arrived? Well, uh, I mean, he has three years of eligibility left. Uh, I think he's arrived. I mean, I, I think too. he's arriving, I should say. Uh, I think he started to arrive in the second half of last season. Certainly, you know, strong finish in the Gator Bowl. Um, yeah, I think he is. Um, but, yeah, it's a young it's a very overall, it's a very young core of receivers and he's one of the elder statesmen. He's only played one year. So it is, it is kind of a weird situation for him, but I do think he's arriving very much. So I think more importantly, I think the coaching staff absolutely believes that he's arriving. I think he is a good college receiver who is great in terms of reliability in terms of the eyes of the coaching staff. And that gets you on the field a hundred times out of a hundred. I think Dion Colsey is the one that's in a weird spot, not Jaden Thomas. And I will bet anybody, and this is going to be a summer prediction in Monday Musings, that Jaden Thomas leads the wide receivers in total snaps played. I would not agree. catches, oh, yeah. not yards, not touchdowns, total snaps played because he can also be the second tight end that they're not using. Very good call there. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, and I think, you know, I mean, Stucky indicated that now he has some position flexibility. They like him in the slot, but he's played some boundary. And 
I think that's important because it opens up some things like for Chris Tyree in the slot, you know, where you can bounce him back out there. Also, you guys, um, you I never heard this. I think you heard it from a coach last year, but I figured it out talking to Stucky. He said, we have him at X, and my mind immediately went to field. And I was like, well, that's really weird because for uh, years we uh, called X field. X, yeah. X is boundary. And I was like, why would you put him at the spot where Merriweather is? And then I realized they put him at the spot where Colsey is. And he kept saying X boundary, X boundary. So now we know it is officially still. X is the Z. This gets hard. This gets hard. But X is boundary. So you guys figured out from there. Yeah, we won't. We won't get into Z is field now. That. uh, Correct, I believe. So what do they call the slot? Slots a different. F. I think it might be called called F. We lost our W. Yeah, well, Tommy Reese said to me there never was a W. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Kelly 100% said that Michael Floyd was a W. I know it. (laughs) That's awesome. Brian Kelly says something at a press conference that was (laughs) didn't line up. 25-year pro. Who was that? Uh, No, best he's seen in 25 years was Steve Elmer at tackle, right? No, it was Alex Bars. He was a 50. I thought he was the 50. Oh, Elmer was the 15-year pro, and Alex Bars was the 25. Best in 25 years. Okay, sure. Those guys are good guard. players, but was there a better guard on that team? I don't know. All right, jump to a basketball question here from Jay Marasco. Your reaction to Van Allen Lubin entering the transfer portal? What kind of impact can we expect from Julian Roper to have on next year's team? Roper is the uh, transfer from Northwestern that has committed to Notre Dame, but Van Allen Lubin, much to my chagrin, and Notre Dame fans' chagrin, entered his name in the portal the other day. Tim? Definitely did not want to lose Lubin and I thought he might be staying because of the timing. Uh, as far as what we could expect from Julian Roper, he'll start on our name's team next year. I'm not prepared to say that. I just going to say it. Cause you can't, you can't name another player that can start. So he's going to start <laughs> until they find somebody that uh, he'll just going to start games. He'll be out there. I mean, for the record, he, uh, he was at Northwestern for two years. Northwestern had a, had a good team this year, made the NCAA tournament. Uh, he played about 20 minutes per game each of the last two years. He scored about four points per game each of the last two years. It's right in. This is beautiful. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I need, I want to study him further on film. I don't know that he, I mean, I don't know how much he moves a needle to be very honest. I don't He's, think he it does, guys, but <laughs> he was recruited by some good, he was recruited by Alabama, Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, Ohio State. That speaks highly of him. I, I, I just haven't had an opportunity to see enough of him. He's a, when, when he's on, he's a great shooter, but all I've seen is make, makes. I haven't seen the misses. So it's easy to say that when, when all you've seen film-wise is of, of the makes. To uh, paraphrase O'Malley uh, from a different discussion, you need living, living, breathing basketball players, and he is a living, breathing basketball player. Well, that, I mean, that's true. I just don't think that the composition of this roster is, has been has been reached yet. So I don't. I think, hope not. Well, I mean, I'm not. That's why I'm not prepared to say he's a starter. But Tim, I know what you're saying because right now, I imagine he would be. I think the best news is that, and this was not my thinking. Somebody else said this yesterday. Shrewsbury played against Roper. He coached against Roper and he wanted him. So he likes something there. Well, that's a good point. And he was in the portal. And he goes to Northwestern. (laughs) Northwestern. The next Stanford guy that they saw too is going to be coming in. It's going to be awesome. I I believe his career high in two seasons is 12 points. So 
just did Zona five. get Zona get more than that in that last game? I think he did. I think he did too. I'll look that up because that's bad radio for everybody in the world to listen to. He but scored double up. figures in one game last year, and it was the twelve points against University of Illinois Chicago. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I don't think he was given a ton of. Well, you know what? He averaged he averaged twenty minutes a game. Yeah, he played a bunch. So that's 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 quite a bit of playing time for four minutes a game. That's not that's not great. Uh, Tim, you want to wrap us up here? And I, I do want to, since we're talking back basketball, Marcus Burton uh, from local Penn High School is named Mr. Basketball, the last South Bend player to be named Mr. Basketball was David Magley in 1978, and I had the honor of playing against him my senior year and it was not pretty you could destroy him he couldn't even get the ball up the court i bet that was one of those yeah things. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> it's a christmas miracle a northern indiana player who won mr basketball really it does not happen very often i pointed that out in in uh in thursday thoughts it just does not happen very often um david magley was a great high school player you know who else was really good in high school were Sean Kemp and Scott Skiles, and they got screwed out of it too. So there is no just Sean Kemp, things out here. Sean Kemp not being Mr. Basketball in Indiana. Woody Austin won. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Woody Austin. Who did he beat off the dribble? <laughs> I don't know, but he didn't do it. Finish with a double pump reverse three sixty like. <laughs> <Kemp said>. no. <laughs> That's it's all I know about Woody Austin. No. Last question. Go ahead. <laughs> I, we could go on and on about not winning Mr. Basketball here for a while, but GR Irish fan 22, Tim Priester and Pete with the NFL draft a week away. How are each of you feeling about your Tariq Bracey bet? And is there a cash out option on the table? <laughs> here, here's how I'm feeling about it. I, I anticipate arriving at, at Notre Dame stadium with a check in hand to hand over to Samson. <laughs> and you know, should I just list my Venmo on the podcast? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Let, I mean, Lesson learned here. I said, I said this about Bracey before there was any feedback nationally from everybody. And then, uh, then I quickly found out why he wasn't invited to the, the combine. You know what? He's still going to be in somebody's camp. And I would, as far as a cash out. No, uh, there's not an option. Uh, okay. But, but if he, okay. I said fifth round. Good God. Uh, well, I don't have anything to bargain with here. I, <laughs> I, I was. Would you reduce it to fifty if he gets picked in the sixth or seventh round? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So but, uh, I had Dane Dane Brugler on my other podcast today, uh, and I was going through his the beast rankings like he does a phenomenal job at the Athletic, but Drake Bracy is ranked as his number ninety fifth cornerback available. How many, uh, there probably won't be that many cornerbacks drafted. Yeah, that's the he's point. Not a, he's not a corner. He's a nickel. I, I didn't, I didn't say that based upon him being a corner. I said, based upon being a nickel, I think he will make back. an NFL roster next year. Well, that, then would, the, that would not surprise me. All right. So if that happens then you'll return the hundred, $100, I'll give you 20 bucks. Okay. <laughs> There's your cash out. Option. I cannot be, uh, uh, beggars can't be choosers here. I cannot, I, I've got nothing to go on here. I blew it. <laughs> I totally blew it. Well, uh, blue goal game is Saturday. Kickoff is at two o'clock Eastern time. And, uh, Pete Sampson will be there and Tim O'Malley and I will do a pregame instant analysis until then. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.
Get ready for a spine-chilling journey through Dublin's dark past on the Ghost Bus Tour. Discover the haunting tales of Bram Stoker, the author of Dracula, and visit two of the city's most haunted sites on this two-hour scarefest. Led by a professional actor, this tour is not for the faint-hearted. Book your tickets now at dodublin.ie forward slash Irish Illustrated to secure your spot.